come to find out they're like best friends behind the scenes. You know, <laughs> George W. Bush calls Hillary his little sister. He yeah. thinks she actually wants to be president because uh, I'm not sure Joe's going to make it to November. To be, <laughs> to be fair. I'm not sure if he's going to make it uh, through this day. You know? <laughs> um, there was this guy, Harry Brown. Um, he was a libertarian here. He's, he's passed away now, but he said the government is good at doing one thing. They will uh, break your legs and then give you a crutch. The Clinton Foundation was was nuts deep in, in Haiti, weren't they? In, in yes. the, the, the relief effort. Right. I think the only person that was getting relief was Bill Clinton on the side. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bill Common, bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's almost Inquisition time yet again on Sunday, 17th of May, episode 132. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. And this week we've got a special guest joining us on Zoom, the host of the Oddcast featuring the Odd Man Out. The Odd Man Out, how are you? <laughs> Hello, thanks guys for having me. You're welcome, thanks for coming. Yeah, you're welcome. We've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah. Me too, man. Me too. Uh, it's been a while in the works, but um, shall we jump straight into it? Straight in? No warm-up. Oh. No warm-up. No. Right. Bur- I was going to say bur- I'm not- burbacks the wrong phrase. What am I thinking of? Yeah, not burbacks. <laughs> burbacks. It's a little bit too early in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to check out the Oddcast. Uh, if you go to what you're on, Stitcher, iTunes... Yeah, yeah, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Podbean, uh, TuneIn, and uh, Podcast Addict. Yeah. So far, that's the only ones I'm on. Yeah, uh, I like what you're doing. I'm really enjoying them. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Um, you sort of each podcast sort of tends to be focused on one subject, and mm. uh, I like the way you've got a good mix. Like you, you generally start with a series of clips, like background yeah. clips. Um, and mm-hmm. then you bring in your own opinions plus references from books and excerpts from books and news articles and website links. It's uh, really cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I, you know, I've been blogging back in you know a little bit like on social media for 20 years like, since MySpace. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of, uh, people kept telling me, you know, you need to start a podcast. And I'm like, eh nobody's going to want to listen to me. You know, I, I, I'm a hillbilly, as you can tell by the way I talk, <laughs> but, um, I don't know, man. I finally just said hell with it. I'll try it. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I like to do things like kind of keep it evergreen. I mean, sometimes I'll do topical stuff, but you know, that's being done so much that I kind of like to keep it more in the vein of doing things like suppressed history and stuff like that, or just lesser known facts that people can go back anytime and and listen to and kind of maybe take something from it that they can apply to their own journey 
you know mm. what I mean? Journey for information or whatever. Yeah. I know what you mean about topical stuff. I mean, we tend to do it every other episode at the moment. We have a guest and then mm. we tend to do more topical stuff. And um, yeah, you need to get it out quick. Otherwise, it's it's sort of this. what they say over here is um, yesterday's news is tomorrow's fish wrapper. What you wrap your fish and chips in, you know, because it's, okay, it's yeah. done and it's gone. It's uh, you, constantly evolving. Yeah, and so many people are, are you know doing it so quickly. I, I'm too lazy. They beat me to the punch, and you know, and there's a lot better people to listen to than me. So I'm kind of like, well, I should probably just do what I know the best, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, and right now, as you guys know, I mean, the information <laughs> it's coming so fast and changing so quickly. It's like it's hard to keep up with it. It's overwhelming, you know, because. At this point, who the hell knows what's right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? What, what you need is an army of producers doing most of the work for you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, if someone's thought of that before. <laughs> Maybe. Not sure. Uh, I think so, probably. <laughs> um, you, you must... These, sorry, go on. No, I was just, just going to say, you got all these uh, celebrity infotainment figureheads now doing <laughs> stuff from their homes. Yeah. Uh, it's pitiful, man. I tried to watch a couple <laughs> of them, and it's just like, this is terrible. You know, I'd rather watch myself, and that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, it sounds like you must have to do a lot of research. You must the the amount of time you must have to put into each episode is pretty um, astronomical. Yeah, I do, and uh, each uh, episode is different lengths. So like one show might be 30 minutes, one show might be an hour and a half. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I just kind of go with, um, go with it until I feel like, Hey, this is enough. And I've said everything that I know as plainly as I can say it. Uh, and then I just stop there. But, yeah. uh, I feel like the last two episodes, uh, I feel like maybe that's more the direction I want to go in is like, uh, one was called the cult of science. And I was just mm. kind of looking into uh, scientific fraud and, and different things like that with, with science. Um, and then the newer one, um, I just went into kind of the money that goes into uh, the cable news, mainly from the pharmaceutical companies um, because, you know, it's just, they, they control a lot of our world with the knowledge and everything that people get. So I was kind of, I think, you know, doing stuff like that, is more kind of the direction I want to go in instead of so much uh, political stuff because yeah. it's kind of getting to the point where I feel like I've said so much about the political side of things. I just keep repeating myself and, uh, and I don't feel like <laughs> I'm really doing a great job of getting through to people that way because, you know, people are so um, uh, kind of, brainwashed by the politics at least here you know in the states it's like people are just gone there for you know either of the two sides and you can't really have much of a conversation with most people no then mm. you you figure out that um it, it, the politics situation is so tribal you, you're never going to convince yeah. people you're never going to change people's minds all you can do is put no. information out there and and that's all you can do right yeah yeah. It's like a choice of two isn't really a choice, is it, to be honest with you? No, you know, and I try to tell people that because 
the the two here they 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 have a symbiotic relationship, you know, because they play good cop bad cop with the people, and uh, you know a lot of them at the very top belong to the same clubs and societies and institutions and like the Council on Foreign Relations and that type of thing. So it's kind of useless, you know. It's like I think they just kind of um, play off of each other. And uh, most of the same things happen regardless of who's in charge, yeah. uh, but they just have different approaches. And uh, yeah. I think it's just political theater. A lot of what we see, mostly most of what we see, I think is political theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Th- this sort of leads into this concept of the deep state, does it? In that the, mm-hmm. the, the politicians come and go every four years or five years, depending on which country you live in, but that there's a background um, sort of administration working um, in, well, would you say in plain sight? But Yeah, I mean, I think so because, um, you know, it's not like the news announces, well, so-and-so got appointed to this position and they are a member of Skull and Bones or, you know, <laughs> our Council on Foreign Relations or Trilateral Commission or, you know, and it's like when you start looking, really looking into that stuff, so many of those people that have been appointed to high positions of power have been in those same groups, you know, the same handful of groups for decades. And, um, I think that's the conspiracy that there is no conspiracy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, they all have the same goals and point points of view. Basically they're all in there to kind of do the same things. And so it's not like this big secretive thing to them. They're just doing what they do. And, uh, the average people have no idea. I'm like, you, you know, I, I'll mention the council of foreign relations to somebody and, and they act like I've got three heads, you know, because it's like, they don't, it means nothing. And I'm like, this is how your government works. This is what they mean by new world order, because these people are in every administration, but you know, it's, it seems like a conspiracy to them, I guess. I don't know. I mean, one thing. I think uh, go on, most of our leaders have probably been in the scouts at some point. that level of what a, what, uh, secret society. Have you not heard of the Bullingdon Club, Ben? Oh, the yeah. Bullingdon Club, yeah, of course. Do you know yeah, that's the old, well, old Eaton boys, isn't it? Boris Johnson, Gen- David Cameron, George Osborne, and also the uh, like generational seats as well, like the like the nepotism. How yes. many kind of people have? How many MPs are sorry of sons and cousins and nephews and all the rest of it are MPs as well? Yeah, Boris yeah. Johnson, for example, was he was he still not an MP for a while? His brother as well, and his brother, and he, yeah, and his, his sister done something maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think it's is it maybe would you say odd man? Fucking hell, <laughs> more extreme in the in the states in that you have these um, dynastic families like the Clintons and. Bushes. Well, it seems that way, at least at least in the modern era, maybe. Um, you know, it's like the, like the Bushes and the Clintons. That's our big ones in the modern era here. And so they were the two families that kept the public here split up and at each other's throats for several decades now. <laughs> Come to find out, they're like best friends behind the scenes. You know, George W. Bush calls Hillary his little sister. Really? And, uh, Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, that's something I've not had. Yeah, you, you can see a, quite a few pictures of them. Uh, but uh, really, what I thought was interesting—I didn't know this until a few years ago—the uh, Clintons had the Bush connection 
come into play when they were still in Arkansas uh, for the whole um, Iran-Contra deal. They were funneling money in through Arkansas. Uh, it was such a dead little town. It was the last place that anyone would suspect. So there's some really good, solid information about that. I know the website counterpunch.com, they've got some really good articles on that whole connection. And I'm sure there's been some books written about it, but I just I haven't really read any. But yeah, their relationship starts all the way back then where they were uh, funneling money from drugs uh, through Arkansas. And, you know, they were getting that the, the money that, uh, you know, that George H.W. Bush and company couldn't get approved of to fund the, uh, the whole Iran-Contra deal. So, so, that was, so that- those guys have been... I'm sorry. Sorry. That was, uh, was that after he was head of the CIA then, Bush? That was, uh, yes. Yeah, that was after CIA. Right. Yeah, right, right after, I believe. Fuck. Yeah, most people don't, I mean, most people certainly in this country don't even know that George, George Bush Sr. was the head of the CIA. Yeah, you know, um, that guy was probably, in the modern era, the most powerful bureaucrat you know, in, in, in our history, because you know, he was head of CIA. Um, he was um, an ambassador for the United Nations. Uh, <laughs> he was also a CFR director. Uh, I think they have, if I remember correctly, they have something like they have a chief and then they have several directors at one time. And so uh, George H.W. Bush, Bush was also a director of the CFR as well as Cheney. So those are three, you know, really significant connections. And then a vice president and president, you know, you can't get any higher than that here. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, could pro- is- we could probably do a whole podcast on Dick Cheney. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's a clip of him. I think you can still find it on YouTube. And he's actually giving a speech. And he's joking because he's in, in front of the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh I think he was vice president at this time, but it might have even been after he was VP. And he's joking about he was how he was a director of the Council on Foreign Relations while he was running for whatever position he had before VP. And he's like, and the people didn't even know it. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, all those connections, um, you know, kind of makes the whole thing go around. And, and I know that uh, I haven't done a lot of, uh, research into it, but in uh, your guys' neck of the woods, the Royal Institute of International Affairs is the was really before the Council on Foreign Relations, and they are all together. It's like the sister sister institute, or whatever you want to call it. Well, I'd never heard of that before. You mentioned it on your podcast, that Royal yeah, Institute. Um, I need to look more into it. I, in fact, I've talked to another guy about doing the show about that. And I said, look, I don't know a lot about RIAA. Is that what it is? R I I A Institute of Internet. Yeah, RIIA. So anyway, yeah, I need to look more into that. But um, yeah. yeah. Can you um, trace a lot of these organize- organizations back to Cecil Rhodes? Exactly. Yeah, those two especially. And I think the Trilateral Commission as well. Um, but they came out of that whole Rhodes Roundtable. Um and then also, of course, the Rhodes Scholars. And if you start looking, that's a really good one. I'd like to do some a show on that. It's just the 
rose scholars who've had high places of, or positions of power in U.S. government and even the private sector as well because they obviously the government and the private sector, a lot of these huge companies work together. So, mm. um, but yeah, I've got some books by a guy. He's a lesser known guy. And I don't know why he's lesser known, but his name's Dennis L. Cuddy. And he's written a whole series of books uh, on the deep state and uh, all those different groups that came out of the Cecil Rhodes era. Right. And, man, he goes into detail because he takes a lot of the uh, documents, declassified documents and official papers and stuff like that and, you know, copies them in his books. So it's like, you know, it's not a conspiracy, really. You just read there and you're like, well, this guy was – Council on Foreign Relations, that this guy was a Rhodes Scholar, and this guy was a Rhodes Scholar. And if, um, leading back to that, uh, to the current crop of, uh, or the latest crop of DNC <laughs> candidates, you had uh, Cory Booker, who was a Rhodes Scholar, uh, Bud Guy, who was a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> you had uh, Tulsi Gabbard was CFR. Was she? Was, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Let's see, Bloomberg was CFR, and... Uh, I think and trilateral commission. He's definitely been a Bilderberg attendee numerous times. And then uh, there's one, oh, Joe Biden, CFR, longtime CFR guy. Wow. So they've had the, their bases covered as far as that Rhodes Roundtable over there. Uh, and they're talking about this one chick, Stacey Abrams from Georgia. She's really wanting to be the VP. Yeah. And uh, she's counsel on foreign relations too. So <laughs> it's crazy, man. Just, um, I mean, I imagine a lot of people listening won't have heard of Cecil Rhodes or the Round Tables. Could you maybe go into a bit more depth about how that started, who this guy was? Yeah, so he was a very wealthy diamond miner. Uh, he was originally funded by the Rothschilds, of course. Uh, but he <laughs> went over, <laughs> there's always a connection, right? But um, he went over to Africa, so what became Rhodesia. I can't remember what it was called before he was there, but it was named after him. And uh, from what I've read, the oh, term shit. blood diamonds came out of what he did was he would, he didn't force the natives to uh, work, but he barely paid them. And I'm sure it was really bad. And so they would work until they bled to get those diamonds out of those caves and under the ground. And uh, he worked for De Beers Diamond Mining. And uh, so he just became so rich and uh, he never got married, never had any children. And he made it his lifelong goal. He wanted to create these secret. I don't think he actually called them secret societies, but uh, clubs, groups, whatever. And uh, they first would have what they called the roads round table groups. And it was just these high society men of, you know, wealth and fame that would get together and, uh, you know, whether it was a drinking club or whatever, like, uh, I don't know, but, um, they eventually got real serious about it. And, uh, in his last will and Testament, he had this series of wills where he left all his money to his, uh, second, second in command, Lord Milner, who, um, was appointed to make all these clubs and he, he was, they were very detailed. Like you can buy, there's a couple of books out there that is just the will, his wills. It was, I think there were six wills, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he wrote in detail how to create these societies, what kind of people to choose as members, and how they would infiltrate 
high places of power in government and the private sector. And he said that he wanted to uh, create a world government um, and that uh, it would be under British rule. And that was his whole thing. You know, he said that the Brits were uh, of a higher class than any other people, and he felt like they should uh, take Africa, take back uh, the United States and, and other places. So, And he was very uh, open about it. Um, and so, you know, that was a long time ago. That was, I think he started doing that in 1881 or something like that, and then he passed away maybe – early 1900s, 1902, 1903. But you, even to this day, you see that here in the U.S., they still had, what did I say, five, six different people out BNC, of the yeah. DNC candidates that were from those Rose Roundtables. Round you had like, um, before the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute, Institute of International Affairs, you had uh, something he called the Society of Helpers. And there's not a lot known about those, but those were going to be your lower level people who were working to kind of help uh, in the local communities and stuff like that. And then you had uh, the society of the elect, which were the higher ups. And, you know, as crazy, as crazy as it sounds, it sounds like a conspiracy, but it's all true. You know, it's, there's a lot of good books out there that have referenced it. Right. And so what's the, the road scholarship that you mentioned? Well, you know, it's uh, this prestigious scholarship for uh, individuals, I think it's out of Yale, but I could be wrong about that. Um, and they, you know, they choose specific people. And of course, Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar. And uh, if you go back and look at the book um, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, he was uh, one of Bill Clinton's professors. He was a history professor, and he wrote that gigantic book about the Rhodes roundtables and that whole plan, excuse me, to, uh, you know, to create all that. And so, um, you know, he said that uh, they control banking, large businesses. They want to merge government into this one world power. And, you know, they kind of pick out these uh, guys when they're young, they, they kind of see them maybe even in high school. I don't know if people are reporting that, to certain people within those groups that, Hey, we've, we've got this one guy, but you know, you can go back and see picture, a picture. There's a picture of Bill Clinton, Clinton shaking uh, JFK's hand when he's like 14, <laughs> some kind of meeting, you know, okay, maybe that's just a coincidence, you know, but, and then there's another picture of Bill Clinton looks to be maybe 22, 23 sitting next to George HW Bush at some party uh, with, uh, I think one of the, uh, media figures that used to be really popular. Mike Wallace, I think Chris Wallace uh, from Fox is his son. And so they're all at this party together. It's like, I don't know, man. It seems like they look look for these guys at a young age. Like Stacey Abrams, the chick I was saying that wants to uh, be Joe's VP, <laughs> uh, she's one of those people. Yeah. Uh, I think that before she even got out of high school, I think she'd given a speech to at the Council of Foreign Relations, so I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So. He yeah. thinks she actually wants to be president because uh, I'm not sure Joe's going to make it to November. To be, <laughs> to be fair. I'm not sure if he's going to make it uh, through this day. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I can't see her being president because she's not very popular as far as I can tell. But uh, 
Wow, if they ran uh, her and Hillary, maybe or gosh, I don't know. You're uh, you still hold you still holding out. Um, well, not holding out, but you still envisage Hillary sweeping in. You know, people haven't. You know, people people keep talking about it. I have a hard time seeing it, but boy, it would be. Uh, it, I wouldn't put not. I wouldn't put anything past her or Bill or that whole group of people. So. Mm. It's hard to imagine, like, don't you guys think it's kind of hard, hard to imagine what's going to happen after this ele- election? Like, I can't even see the what things are going to be like. No. It's hard to see past it. Yeah. Like, I guess, be- yeah, I guess because they put, um, you know, Joe up there, and it's so obvious that he's, <laughs> his health is, you know, he's, he's not going to make with it. it is he? <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, it's really strange. Did they um, did they do a number on Bernie again? Is that what happened? Yeah, you know, I didn't look too much into that, but uh, he was doing great. And then I think they got to maybe it was the Iowa caucus, which is supposed to be so important here, I think. Um, and then supposedly Biden won. But Bernie was killing it. He was like Trump last time. You know, he's ha- he was having thousands of people show up mm-hmm. for his rallies and stuff. And I just smell a rat. You know, they screwed him over last time. So, mm-hmm. there, you know, I think he knew. I- I'm sure he knew he wasn't going to win this time. Mm-hmm. Just they um, probably said, "Sorry, sorry, Adman." Just yeah, going back to um, the CFR and and uh, those other societies. Is there is there media figures involved in them as well, or is it mainly politics and to focus on the world government? I would. Um, there definitely is media figures. I would urge anyone who's interested to just go look uh, on CFR.org and look at their uh, current membership list. Um, they update it every year, but uh, over the years, the last probably five years or so, I went on there and I like take a picture of the name and then post it up and show, you know, it, it, once you find out someone's in there, you can usually find an article or two hidden away somewhere on the internet that talks about it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of uh, higher up media figures that have been in the game a long time, they're in it. Um, Andrea Mitchell, George Stephanopoulos, um, gosh, Aaron Burnett. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the key Higher ups are in it for sure, and a lot of uh, military guys, a lot of uh, generals and uh-huh. colonels, yeah. a lot of uh, people from academia, um, and quite a few people from. Like I know uh, the, I'm not sure if he was the head of HBO or the assistant. Uh, I think that he was the assistant uh, CEO or something like that. But he was on the board of directors, the, the C the assistant CEO of HBO. And then if you look, HBO was doing documentaries for the CFR at one time. I don't know if they still are or not, but, um, and then, um, uh, yes, mainly, uh, politicians and people who've been appointed to different uh, positions in the U S government. So they've got a mix of all the really, powerful people but if you look at their corporate membership it's like walmart and amazon and every gigantic 
corporati that exists here, you know, it's like, so they have a lot of power. When you look at, uh, if you weren't, you know, if it weren't for the, like just the individual people, that's a lot of power, a lot of names in there that are, have a lot of sway and know a lot of things. But then you look at their corporate membership and it's like, wow, there, there's no need for a conspiracy just to look at their membership. You know, <laughs> it's like these people have, uh, they can get shit done basically, you know, they, they've got connections, they've got money. They know people inside the government and yeah. Do you think is, is Bezos connected to any of this? You know, I'm sure he probably is. I, I don't know if he himself is a, like a single member. Uh, but of course, Amazon is a corporate member, right. uh, which is even bigger. And then of course, um, I'm sure there's a, at least a couple of Washington Post uh, people that are in the CFR. In fact, I'll tell you another really good, if it's still up, it's been up for years on a Washington Post website. And it was called Ruling Class Journalists. And it's one of the most honest pieces I've ever seen. I can't believe they actually did it. And I think it's from way back in like 1998. 1999 and they actually talk about media figures in the council on foreign relations which was interesting i think they even implicate one of their own people in that article so i would i would assume that you know bezos is he's got power i mean if amazon's a corporate member and the weird thing is too about them you know they claim that they're an anti-war institute and that's one of the reasons that they push for this world government, you know, because they want to end all wars. But if you really look at it, they actually promote a lot of wars with like, like I know they were pissed when Trump decided not to just go full bore into Syria and blow the place up and rubbleize it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you look back at, um, a lot of their articles, like uh, there's a famous one called A Hard Road to New World Order. Uh, they're basically promoting war. And the, what they want to do, I've, you know, after just kind of reading their articles and stuff, is they mean to create order through chaos. You know, so they want to push these foreign wars and these imperialistic type of uh, measures to destabilize other countries and that way they'll have more of a reason to have a world governing body, you know, because this is the only thing that can stop these wars and these people who are these refugees and these people who are hungry and these people who are poor and this, that, and the other. So it's kind of like the, uh, let's say, what was it? There was this guy, Harry Brown. Uh, he was a libertarian here. He's, he's passed away now, but he said the government is good at doing one thing they will uh, break your legs and then give you a crutch. And that's kind of what they're doing. I think they want to cause destruction so they can rebuild a world in the image they want it to be like. Wow. The strategy, I guess you'd say. Yeah. How does, um, one thing that when you, when you start looking at this subject, there are a lot of, there's a handful of things that keep coming up. Um, like you said, the Council on Foreign Relations, um, Cecil Rhodes, other things are that you keep hearing are Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Thirty. What's all that about? Yeah, well, you know, I actually took some notes about that. Down, uh, you know, I'd read about it. I'd actually done a, 
couple podcasts that touched on that a while back. But uh, so it was, it's an action plan that was created, well, was implemented, uh, the, the drafted in 1992. They actually tried to push similar things before that, but uh, it was at the Earth Summit in 1992, and George H.W. Bush signed uh, the U.S. Uh, an agreement from the U.S. to go along with this action plan, and uh, 178 other countries signed on as well. And then in the next year when uh, Clinton was in office, he created uh, a Sustainable Development Council, and they have members of the Sierra Club and the World Wildlife Foundation and Enron and all these oil companies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people who are pushing this are large corporations, and that sounds insane, but, you know, as far as I can tell, uh, one, it makes them look good because, hey, we're green, we're doing things for the environment, but two, I think that, you know, the the really large multinational corporations, I think they know that if they, there ever was a world government, government, uh, you know, they're going to have a high place in there, even though it's supposed to be this utopia and everybody's, you know, going to live happily ever after. It's, I mean, we all know that there's going to be tears uh, and there's going to be rulers and, and different things like that. So I think that they know uh, that they will have a high place if it's ever established, but it's crazy because uh, it's, it's not just on the national level, it's on the local level. Uh, they have uh, these international councils on local environmental initiatives, and they are appointed to go to each little town and talk the leaders of that town into going along with this sustainable development. And, you know, sustainable development sounds great, but then you really start to peel back the onion, and it's like uh, they want to end private property. They want to end the Second Amendment here. That's one of their big things. Uh, but they say outright that uh, private property is one of the biggest uh, determinants of, um, well, they say it's one of the biggest reasons for inequality. Right. And, you know, one could say, you know, these, you know, extremely wealthy people, uh, you know, and I'm kind of a free market guy. If there was a free market, I don't even think there really is, but if there was, you know, but anyway, uh, but that being said, I understand when there, there's people who are just so filthy rich that, you know, you would think, well, you know, it seems like they could be more um, willing to help other people out who are less fortunate and whatnot. But, you know, once you start getting rid of private property, and you put property in the hands of, they claim it to be public property, who which we will all own, right? No, that's not going to work. I mean, you take like the national parks here. I mean, the national parks are great. I like to go hiking. You know, I like to go swimming and stuff like that. But there's, you can only, like the citizens here and the people that visit, they can only travel on like 30% of that. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And over time, through all these different green initiatives, they've they've uh, commandeered like more and more property to now it's just an unbelievable amount of property they own. And a lot of these, uh, I think they're called um, world heritage sites. 
uh, I, I was at a place in North Carolina. It was a really beautiful place called Grandfather Mountain. It's on top of this huge mountain. It's like one of the highest peaks in that area. And then we went in the little lobby there in the gift shop and was looking in the museum. And I see this United Nations World Heritage Site. I'm like, what is that? You know, came home and looked. and It's like the United Nations through UNESCO actually has a big say in a lot of these places all around the world. And, um, you know, if the shit was ever to hit the fan, you know, they and whoever basically runs the United Nations would own those pieces of land. So Really? They would have ownership over it? So that sounds a little bit like communism. Yeah. 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 Which is very strange to me, knowing the, the history behind, you know, U.S. and communism in the in the relatively near history. Yeah, and, you know, I, there's one thing that I've really come to understand from reading, uh, like, that Tragedy and Hope book um, where he talked, the, the guy talks about uh, how the Rose Roundtable groups were formed and everything. He says in there plainly, these guys like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, uh, they don't care if a country is communist, socialist, capitalist, fascist, the type of government doesn't matter to them whatsoever. Um, they will use the system however they need to, to get what they want. And uh, I think that to me, communism and socialism has almost become meaningless here because it's been one of those divisive labels. Um, not that there isn't a system, you know, called communism, of course, but it's like, what people call free market capitalism here is not free market capitalism whatsoever. Um, you know, it's protectionism. It's like cronyism. And, uh, and then what people call a lot of times communism or socialism is not really, it's not really that because if you look back, a lot of the communist countries were funded by these multinational corporations and these central banks and whatnot. So it kind of gets all, you know, kind of, uh, polluted there you know it's kind of hard to say <laughs> yeah One they really have to use those labels to keep us apart though to keep <laughs> us divided hmm. as far as the, the chronic capitalism like examples we often see it's like this sort of revolving door between government regulators and industry and mm-hmm. that you know where uh, and then a, an mp who's in charge of the environment says the environment minister and then he ends up after he's retired getting a, a non-exec job on the board of some oil company and vice versa yeah. where it's both ways yeah and it's just plain yeah. to see yeah it really is it's like um, i read this book uh, this guy peter schweitzer i think he wrote a book called clinton cash where he implicated the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation having ties to all these foreign governments and stuff like that. I never read that book, but I read this one. It was called Secret Empires. And, man, that's a great book. Um, He really goes in there. It's not just like a right-wing book. He implicates uh, Republicans, too. And he shows how the system, the way it works, is like a, a representative can't outright take money from a company or a foreign entity. But they can give his son, daughter, brother, sister, or even parents money or jobs or gifts. 
they, they, they can't give it to the representative or his spouse, his or her spouse, but they can do that. So that's how the whole thing works, you know? Uh, well, that's, and then also effect. No, sorry, I'm sorry. Go sorry, ahead. go on. I was just going to say, um, that's sort of quite topical in that there was rumors that Joe Biden might be in trouble because of his, his son, is it Hunter and Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect example of that. Yeah. He had, um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but he had the rights to a, a, a mine there. I think a gold mine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it wasn't a diamond mine. Maybe it was a, <laughs> that would be, yeah, that, that would be fitting. Um, but yeah, and I may be wrong about that. It might be a, another type of business, but I start to get the all these people mixed up. Like Hillary's brother got um, the rights to Haiti's biggest diamond mine after the whole Haiti Haitian uh, was it the earthquake and the uh, yeah yeah. So she, he got rights to that, and a lot of people don't know that. Fuck you know, because the <laughs> well, yeah, that's how the. The Clinton Foundation was was nuts deep in, in Haiti, weren't they? In, in yes. the, the the relief effort, right? I think the only person that was getting relief was Bill Clinton. On the side, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they say like you know that they were was there were thousands and thousands of dollars donated to Haiti, and there was only like three or four houses built, and people were still living in mud huts. Yeah, it's a big thing, that isn't it? There's billion. I think it's billions gone in there, and it's all disappeared, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's the, amazing. There was a huge scandal over Haiti as well about the, um, well, allegedly members of the NGOs, you know, sexually assaulting the the, the well, women there. Oxfam, wasn't it? Was it Oxfam that one? There was, yeah. There's a charity in in the UK called Oxfam, isn't there? And basically the they did an investigation and did they'd set up like a brothel or something oh, man. and they were like getting hookers but they were underage and they weren't necessarily hookers and it was just basically like um exploitation really, really yeah essentially yeah um i don't know if they were like kind of trading it as well for healthcare things like that and yeah i think really they were dark. yeah i think they were restricting like the medication that they've been donated or whatever mm. for sexual favors i mean it's just you just wonder what's going through these fucking people's heads don't you <laughs> yeah yeah you know the united nations have had similar um things happen with their peacekeepers i know it, i'm gonna do a show on that one of these days but i know there's been at least a half a dozen incidents over the years where they found out their peacekeepers you know they were sending them into these countries to help and they were raping the women and sometimes the children <sighs> and um uh, you know, I, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a bigger deal about that too. But yeah, that was you know, it. What can you do? Wasn't that in Africa mainly? Yeah, I know uh, mainly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's not just one. You know, it's like I know it's happened in the, several times in the last twenty years. Um, so you know, you'd think. I mean, come on, they're there to help people, and then you're doing that kind of stuff. I mean. Mm. It's terrible, man. Yeah. Um, we need to go back to Agenda 21. Yeah, yeah man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and Agenda 30 as well. Now, is this like a continuation? That's what how I understand it, that Agenda 30 is some sort of continuation from Agenda 21. Well, as I understand it, like Agenda 21 is really uh, the agenda for the 21st century. <laughs> so, and they wanted to have everything implemented by... 
2021 uh, when it first came about. But, uh, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. But now they're kind of looking at 2030 as maybe having that will, you know, give them time to get everything they need implemented. Yeah. And, you know, it's all under, you know, happy, feel good, you know, clean environment, clean earth, peaceful, all these great things that when you're young, of course, that you'd be a moron if you didn't go for, but, you know, they are not trustworthy but to do those things because they have other agendas. You know, it's like they promise a utopia that's going to be, you know, equality down the line for everyone, but they're not, I mean, you'd have to be a fool to believe that. And I got this book here. It's like, it's a 10 year old book and I just got it this weekend. I was, I got it for the show, but I was hoping it would come earlier, but um, it's uh, behind the green mask. Ah, wow. And uh, it's great. I mean, I really recommend it. I'm about halfway through it. And the uh, lady that wrote it, Rosa Corey, she actually, um, worked in, uh, she worked in California and she was a real estate appraiser who specialized in eminent domain. So she was basically, uh, getting, helping the government seize lands basically. And while she was doing that, she thought she was doing a good thing somehow. She realized she started seeing stuff about sustainable development in agenda 21. And she started realizing, Hey, they're taking people's lands or they're taking, uh, they're making it to where they're passing such strict laws that like farmers can't do things with their land or people can't pass on the land to their relatives because they're making it so expensive or whatever business they did have on that land, the way they changed the laws, they can no longer have that business, all kinds of different things. And the weird thing is she, she's a Democrat and a lesbian, but she is like one of the biggest uh, pushers against Agenda 21. Um, she started a website called, um, I think it's called postsustainability.org, or I'm sorry, postsustainabilityinstitute.org. So you can find out a lot of information about Agenda 21 on there, really detailed stuff, but they want to build these smart cities they want to get people out of any urban areas. Uh, they want to have these like multi-level uh, apartments or condos and have stores underneath the actual uh, apartments. And they want to get rid of, of course, they want to get rid of cars. They want people biking, uh, you know, back and forth, which, you know, I understand. I mean, I like to bike and whatnot, but, you know, I don't want to be crammed into some area that I don't want to be in and be under surveillance 24 seven and not be able to fart without some person reporting it, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, they've got this all planned out, man. I mean, she, she details it in that book and it's just, um, the more and more I read, I'm just like, Oh my God, I, I don't know if there's time to go back because they are so organized on the local level all the way up to, the national level to the world level. And, uh, and they've got a lot of, a lot of money behind them. And what's another thing that's disturbing that we were talking about earlier. There's all these NGOs like the Sierra club world wildlife foundation and different ones uh, who are pushing it and writing a lot of the legislation that's put forth before the UN um, 
that, that may or may not become acts or treaties or official agreements. And they're being funded by these gigantic um, uh, philanthropy groups that are from you know, like, like the Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, Carnegie Endowment, um, all these gigantic groups. And, you know, it, it's, it's just an odd pairing. You would think that those two wouldn't go together, but they do. And uh, the, like I said, the only reason I can think that those groups would push that is because they know they'll be high up in the pecking order if this world governance is ever established. Yeah, getting in, getting in, and getting your influence in early. Yeah, yeah. What you're yeah, saying yeah, about yeah. the cars? I mean, like having having a car, it's part of your independence, isn't it? And part of your freedom yeah. to travel. Right, and, and where I live, like I live in uh in the Tennessee, and it's like a, a lot of country area here. And uh, you know, if we hadn't had cars, we would never have been able to do anything. You know, because we'd have to try drive like. 10, 20 miles to where there's anything fun, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just can't imagine. I mean, it's insane. Uh, and to, to run everyone out of the rural areas, um, it's just, it's hard to imagine, but if they continue to like, like they're actually advocating tearing down dams that have been built 50, 60 years ago, um, just because they say that those dams messed up the natural order of things. And so they need to tear those down. And it's really, as you would imagine, really big in California. Um, of course, now you have like a 60-year-old dam. The habitat's changed a long time ago. And if you were to disturb it, that's how you really mess up things now because things have healed themselves or whatever. So... Yeah, but the other thing, that's pretty counterintuitive, isn't it, in terms of hydroelectric power and if they're all about sort of carbon-free or carbon low-carbon kind of energy and things like that, then actually putting those kinds of things down is a bit of a backward step for their agenda, would you say? I think so too, yeah. I really do. Mm. You know, they're really um, – there's more – I wish I could remember. There's another uh, group who's really fighting – this whole thing and they're with the farming uh the farmers and the, the t- those types of people who've been told that they can't uh do certain things on their lands and some of the things that you you look at some of the regulations and stuff that they put forth is just they don't even make sense um and if they keep making things harder and harder um i think eventually you know they're going to they're, they're working towards their goal and it's happening little by little, and I think a lot of people don't even know because it's not advertised, not talked about very much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I guess um, climate change is is sort of the big motivator for this, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another group uh, that's really pushing it too, I probably should mention, is the Club of Rome, oh. and they're um, they've been at it a long time. They're really big in the United Nations. Um, and they even said, I wish I had the quote before me, but uh, this was like a 30-year-old quote where they were at some kind of, uh, they have these big meetings, kind of like the uh, meetings of Davos and all that, where all these big wigs get together from around the world. 
and fly fly the huge jets in there to talk about <laughs> pollution and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they were saying that um, something like uh, climate change, they didn't use that term, though, would be a good way to get their agenda done. Uh, and I guess they said environmental reasons. Mm. And that was so long ago that uh, they've really come a long way of getting that agenda done. Um, yeah, it ticks all the boxes, doesn't it, climate change, for what, yeah. the, uh, what they seem to want to achieve. Mm. Yeah, it sure does. And it's a climate crisis now, of course. Right. Well, this is it. This is where your media members of the CFR Mm. and whatnot, you know, you get to influence, you get to change the language that's used and change the message. Because, you know, 99% of people just watch the six o'clock news or they read a certain paper every day and they they don't go looking for this information, do they? No. No, and, you know, that's one thing that gets on my nerves. uh, a lot of people talk about fake news, but then it seems like they still get a lot of their news from the, the fake news, uh, you know, corporations. And it's like, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's like our world, especially if you're older, it's almost like your whole worldview as far as politics goes has been built by the corporate media. What you didn't learn in school is, is basically been taught to you by corporate media. And I, and you try to point out certain things to people and they act like you're insane. And you're like, but you talk about the fake news all the time. Why do you still believe all this crap? You know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What? Uh, you know, I'm sorry. No, go on. Go on. <laughs> uh, in this book here, uh, Behind the Green Mask, she had this quote. And uh, I'm a terrible reader, but I'm going to. I thought it was pretty amazing because it sounds a lot like what's going on with uh, this whole whole coronavirus, but she's talking about the Agenda 21 Sustainable Development, and she said this plan is a whole life plan. It involves the educational system, the energy market, the transportation system, the governmental system, the healthcare system, food production, and more. It is a plan to inventory and control all of the natural resources, means of production, and human beings in the world. The plan is to restrict your choices, limit your funds, narrow your freedoms, and take away your voice. One of the ways is by using the Delphi technique. And that's a manufactured system. It's like a the Rand Corporation came up with this thing called the Delphi technique. And they it, it's all these t- statistics and different techniques to make large crowds feel as though they've chosen – something that the elites have actually come up with. So the way they present it to, to crowds, they make them think it was their ideas. Like and an illusion of free choice. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the technique they're using with this whole agenda 21 climate change type thing. Wow. And you know, they're, they're starting kind of indoctrinating the kids from the time they're just, you know, in kindergarten. So, yeah, I mean, young people are far more likely to be, um, an, uh, far more likely to have an anxiety over things like climate change than people in their forties, thirties, forties, fifties, aren't they? Oh yeah. I mean, just look Absolutely. at Greta. Yeah. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel sorry for her, but um, yeah, I mean, she 
she's um it's it's a fundamentalist type of it's a cult green cult you know uh you can make a case for child abuse for greta right you know she's why is she 14 15 or something when she burst onto the scene oh yeah yeah, and she's yeah, been she thrust was... into the spotlight of the entire world. And it's not her, it's the people behind right. her who are behind you know, who are pushing it. Right, yeah. That yeah, the the dad and mom and whoever else is behind I'm sure there's lots of uh There was a famous you know, there is a handler, isn't there? Um a, a a youngish female. I can't remember what her what her um what she was linked to, but there there's shady shit going on bit behind Greta you know I saw a post uh, and I didn't read it all the way through to find out if it was true or not but it had a picture of her and the uh, lady you're talking about and it said she was a Rothschild <laughs> so uh, and like I said I haven't fact checked that no. but uh, wouldn't surprise me what do you what do you make of the current situation with the virus um you know, I've went back and forth on it. Um, so my wife's a nurse practitioner in um, oncology. And um, so I try to take, you know, her advice and see what she says and what her colleagues say and stuff like that. Um, and she pretty much thinks it's mostly bullshit. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, well, here in this area, we've barely had any cases. Um and she works at the largest hospital here and uh, in the area, and uh, they've barely seen any cases whatsoever. Um, and she just said, the, you know, and the masks that her and her colleagues think are, is absolutely ridiculous wearing the masks because, you know, the virus is smaller than what the mask will, you know, filter out. And so, you know, and I have – my best friend's a nurse as well. I've been friends with him since, you know, since we were tiny children. So, and he feels the same way. He's like, this is some sort of appeasement for the people, the mask. It makes them feel better. And, uh, it's a way to, um, further divide the people, you know, uh, because I, I haven't worn a mask the whole time. And when I go to the store, it's, you know, it's, it's mixed here. It's half and half. Cause there's a lot of people that, haven't uh, really went for it. And I'm not going to make fun of anybody who's wearing one. I'm just saying, um, you know, it, it's become a way to divide people and, and people really look at you weird if you're not wearing one. Mm-hmm. Um, so social shaming. Right. Right. Uh, and meanwhile, the people that are wearing them are constantly touching their face <laughs> or pulling it down. I'll see people pull it down under their nose. You know, I'm like, what's the point? And, and like my wife says, people have these gloves on and they're touching everything and they're not washing their hands nearly as much as they were if they didn't have gloves on Mm -hmm. and they still feel like they're not spreading germs. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a psyop man. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's completely baffling to me because there's this huge continuum. You've got people who accept all elements of the official line um, you know, it came out of the wet market in Wuhan and spread, you know, as we're told by the BBC and the cases of the cases, whatever. And then there's a whole spectrum of opinions all the way to it's 5G antennas killing us. And it's, you know, it's it's like, where's where's the truth in it all? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm kind of going a little strong at it, but I, I, I do have my doubts about, you know, like, like my wife kind of thinks it's a, a different strain of the flu. Um, and, you know, places like New York, you know, in other areas here uh, seem to have been hit really hard. But then uh, other areas haven't had hardly anything. And, um, and I understand, like, if you're if it's a congested area with a lot of people, you know, you're going to have more sickness. But uh, right off the bat, I mean, they didn't waste any time um, with the, the first stimulus bill. They had that thing, like, passed within just a few days and uh mm. and it was like i can't remember now maybe 1400 pages or something like that and there's no way they had time to draft that um <laughs> so i feel like no matter what happened in in what the origins are um the elites and the governments of the world jumped on it quick and and immediately started to use it to their advantage to try to, you know, uh, suppress people and uh, get what they want. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. That was Winston right. Churchill, wasn't it? Yeah, attributed to. I think so. Attributed to. Not, not confirmed. Not confirmed. <laughs> Can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> he was a cagey one. It's like the, the, more, the more I read, you know, about him, I'm like, I don't think he was quite the guy that i thought that i was taught in school you know i mean he's getting good and bad you know yeah <laughs> just like the, just like a lot of the you know past leaders mm-hmm. i found it um we were celebrating ve day recently victory in europe day i don't know if you if it's a big deal in the states or not um no. but it's the 75th anniversary it was of victory in europe day from 945 and i found it quite surreal in that you know, we're commemorating this event that happened over six years where hundreds of thousands, mil- well, hundreds of thousands of Brits, but millions of people across the world died to mm-hmm. fight for our freedom. And we're celebrating it <laughs> locked in our own homes, waving flags about <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not allowed to go out. I just sort of thought it was quite surreal. Someone's laughing very hard, aren't they, somewhere? Mm. I don't, know. It all. <laughs> I don't know. Some kingpin. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to ask as well, uh, what's it like in terms of being locked down where you are in America? Well, here um, it's a more rural area. Um, mm. We're the third largest city in Tennessee. So it's it's not like it's a tiny area, but um, I live kind of out in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I like, honestly, I can be downtown in like seven or eight minutes if traffic's not bad. And it's, it's half and half. It's like, mm-hmm. I would go to the grocery store or, uh, like the hardware store, uh, Lowe's or something like that. But during this whole time, it has been packed. <laughs> People have been, <laughs> so I couldn't even tell if I were just, was just going to those places. I couldn't even tell there was a problem. Mm-hmm. But if I drove out a little bit further to other stores, I saw a lot of stores closed and stuff like that. Um, and it seems like we're a college town. So there is quite a few, um, a pretty large progressive, uh, population here. But then there's also, um, 
a large redneck population as well. So uh, it's kind of right down the middle. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of places closed, but um, a lot of places have tried to open or are pushing to open. Uh, We have this mayor here who was a professional wrestler. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, right? Uh, The WWE, he was a guy named Kane. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Red and and black face makeup. Yeah. Right. So he's our mayor, and he <laughs> was an outspoken uh, libertarian, uh, which I, I was really surprised that he got uh, voted in because, uh, like I said, it's kind of half and half, but we did have a progressive mayor who was pretty popular. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was right off the bat. He's like, we need to open up as soon as possible. We need to you know, keep these businesses from failing and whatnot. And, oh, my gosh, I would go on any local – uh, group like on Facebook or something like that, and he was just like, "He wants to kill us all. <laughs> he's trying. He's a murderer." You know, it's all these. It's just crazy. It's just well, the, the counter argument, isn't it? I think even Trump said it himself. Was that you know, if you shut things down, um, obviously that causes a recession, and recessions normally mean job losses. Job losses normally mean that people start to make bad choices. So they find sort of solace in, you know, Alcohol, substance yeah. abuse, things like that. And the death rate goes up from that, essentially. So, you know, the cure is sometimes just as bad as the remedy or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of the negative consequences, isn't it, of, of shutting everything down. Yeah, it stops sort of the spread of the virus, but there's all the other consequences of that, which is inevitably a recession. Inevitably, some people are going to lose the jobs, and then that causes all of the other negative consequences doesn't it also loss of life as well because like we've seen in this country um things like cancer referrals were cancelled uh people were afraid people were afraid to come to the hospital yeah it Mm. it was multi-faceted yeah operations cancelled um people were having you know heart attacks and not going to the hospital and strokes and Mm. every, every other element of the health system had a downturn Mm-hmm. And and these consequences are going to come back to bite us in the ass, aren't they, further down the line? Yeah. So I think you're right on that. What uh, I found uh, weird this week is it almost seems as though the government's, um, the job the government have done in insto- instilling fear in, a, in us has backfired in that they want to open back up and, and we're too afraid Nobody to. Nobody wants to, The yeah. teachers' unions have come out this week saying we, we don't want to open schools and, and, and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. I think the, where we live, um, they have sort of councils and stuff, and they run the schools. So I think it's Liverpool uh, Council and Manchester, Greater Manchester, are saying that they're not going to open, apparently. Going against the government. Uh, yeah, basically. Our, our government said they want to open schools uh, at the beginning of June, reopen, start a phased reopening of schools, and uh, the teachers' unions have all kicked off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. Well, yeah, um, you know, here um, a lot of people are getting more money from unemployment than they were working. And so, you know, they definitely don't want to go back to work. You know, I can't blame them in one sense. I can't blame them for that. But uh, I'm convinced uh, that, and like I said, no matter what the origins of this were, um, I'm convinced this was the 
push. This is the beginning of the universal basic income here. Um, I don't believe that because the Republicans are spineless, basically, you know, besides Trump, I mean, you got a couple guys who'll stand up every now and then and, you know, like Rand Paul and, and Thomas Massey, but these, most of the other people are just spineless and they just kind of like, okay, you know, they'll, they'll kind of say a few things like they're going to go against something or it's not a good idea, but then they don't stand up for it when it, you know, they really count. And I just feel like, uh, They'll eventually give in to it. They won't call it the universal basic income. They'll, they'll call it something else, and uh, and they'll eventually give in to it. And uh, then probably uh, with the you know the universal healthcare, whatever you want to call it. So I feel like this is um, no matter what. I feel like this is the beginning of a lot of things that um, the Republicans have been fighting against for a long time, and they they don't really seem to be fighting against it anymore. Uh, and, you know, if they do, they're just going to get called heartless or, you know, whatever. So I don't see them winning this one. And, uh, you know, I, I've got mixed feelings about it because I know that people need help and I'm not against that at all, but uh, I'm also not for, uh, I, I think that people don't realize that, well, when you're dependent on a government, um, dependency is the opposite of freedom. And, it, it, you know, if we really, you know, cherish our freedom and individual liberty, um, then, you know, you have to suffer a little bit and stand up for what's right or what you think's right. Mm. And, you know, I don't even see the people, not just the, the politicians, but I don't see the, the actual people on the right really here standing up the way they used to, even for stuff like the uh, second amendment. Um, it's just, it's changed that something's changed. Uh, I don't know if it's like they're so busy kind of, uh, caught up in the whole, I call it a political soap opera, but the fighting between Trump and the Democrats and, and or Trump and the left wing media, and they just don't pay attention to a lot of things they used to like debt used to be a huge thing for the Republicans. So they said they stood against, or government growth, or standing up for the Second Amendment, stuff like that, but it's not the way it used to be. And the thing is, these rights and freedoms are very hard won, and uh, right. and it can be easily taken away if you're not vigilant. I mean, look at what's happened to us in the last eight weeks. We've, you know, we've all our rights and freedoms have been stripped away at the stroke of a pen, mm. and uh, it's very strange times. Yeah, and it's like um, as soon as all this started happening, well, then you, you look in the background there and you have uh, here you have Lindsey Graham in a bipartisan-led effort to enact this thing called the Earn It Act, which would uh, end all encryption on all of your smart devices. And I looked into that act, and it would give our government the ability to every uh, email you would send out or potentially even a text message if they get what they want in the bill. And it would go through this, the software and it, the software would filter it for certain words. And they say that they're doing it to end child trafficking. But you know that something like that is a slippery slope that they're not going to just stop right there. No, you know, like, and then at the same time they have this 
uh, bill that they're trying to get pushed called the, uh, it's a uh, HR 5717. And it's like the, it's a gun bill. And it would, it's like the most restrictive gun bill ever put forth. And, uh, nobody's really talking about it. And it's kind of been on the back burner for the last few weeks because of the coronavirus, but it's still in play. Well, at a time like this, it's a great time to sneak through legislation uh, under the radar, isn't it? Absolutely. People's eyes are off the ball. Right, right. And would would that be based on the, is the rationale that um, it's down to these school shootings? Well, yeah, that's, that's definitely what's pushed it the last few years. Yeah, for sure. That's given, um, you know, credence for them to do that. And it's also, I think one of the bigger reasons why the Republicans aren't really protecting that amendment any longer like they used to. Um, and honestly, I think regular people, just the regular voters and regular people on that side, they just don't think about that. They don't realize that the, all those things are happening. They don't realize that, your rights are under assault. Like, like they were really vigilant under Obama. It's so easy to be vigilant when you have an enemy who's the, the, the face of the country talking all the time. And, uh, but then when they're not in charge and some of your own group is actually in on taking some of your rights, you know, it's like people aren't as vigilant. Yeah. People often, um, they'll support legislation when it's their guy in power and, and they, they forget that, you know, once you've granted this power, it's only a matter of time before someone's in that position who you don't agree with, and then that can be abused. Yeah, and that's that's really the, you know, I hate to say that term again, slippery slope, but, you know, that's what it is. And it's been happening now for so long here and I guess around the world. And it's like we forget immediately about that vigilance and that uh, – you know, skepticism when our guys get in charge and we just lay down our swords, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. You need to be eternally vigilant if you're, you know, because no matter what, even if you have the best representative ever, he's surrounded by other people who have other intentions and he could be getting bad advice. He could be fooled and he's not going to be in power forever. No. You know, just like you said. So, um, freedom of speech is a another big issue because I'd read I'd uh, heard that you'd been the victim of censorship. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've you know, I've been blocked on, uh, or not really blocked, but I had a uh, YouTube uh, page. My channel was taken down like a couple of years ago. Uh, I wasn't really given a good reason for it. I didn't have anything offensive on it, nothing violent or racist or anything like that. Um, and then my, um, my blog was taken down too, and I couldn't figure it out. Like I mainly just had stuff about, uh, chemtrails and stuff like that on there. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, I noticed, uh, no, I was just gonna say, I noticed two, uh, pretty popular alternative sites had been censored over the weekend. Um, Tinfoil Hat, the Tinfoil Hat podcast. Really? Uh, they lost their Twitter and their YouTube. Fucking hell. Yeah. And somebody else, I, I can't remember who the other person was. It was pretty big in the alternative community. Because that's quite a, you know, 
well-known, successful podcast, isn't it? Right, yeah. It's not like they're, you know, trying to shut down little old Army's Inquisition, is it? Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been shut down, haven't we? Because we were, we played it fast and loose with copyright laws. Oh, right, oh okay. yeah, we did get a, a cease <laughs> yeah, and desist yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it just goes to shows how much power these big um, these big platforms have, doesn't it? Like YouTube and Facebook, and controlling the message. Yeah, they really do. Um, they're kind of like the new uh, Ministry of Information, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. The, I mean, they, and, and you know, with Facebook, I think it was kind of baked into the cake uh, because I don't know if you guys have ever looked into it, uh, the LifeLog program that DARPA had here, but it was basically Facebook for <laughs> that agency. They would, you know, they would take all of our information and log it down. And um, it was just a couple of days before Facebook was implemented, they supposedly discontinued the lifelong program. Wow. And so if you look at the description of it, it sounds just like Facebook. I mean, it sounds just like it. So in other words, the social network's bullshit. Zuckerberg works for DARPA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it, man. That guy with, have you seen him lately? It's like his eyes are like that big. Uh, he, he looks like a, I don't know, like a robot. Or I was something. just going to say, I think he might be a DARPA robot. Bro. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he could have had the, the tap on the shoulder at Harvard. That's ah. not He's been recruited. Very well could have been, for what, sure. Did he go to Harvard? So? Mm. Never watched, uh, whatever it's called, Social Network? It's like a documentary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, that is the perfect, uh, I mean, if you think about it, how else would the, uh, the intelligence agencies and whatnot get the uh, all the information from what we like to eat to to what kind of you know girls we like to <laughs> our politics to our you know you name it they know every little thing about us and there's no other way they could do it except to trick us into doing it willingly yeah you know okay. so you look back at. Um, it's a big, it's a big new Brzezinski. Uh, I think it was, it was one of his, I think it was called the technological society or something like that. And uh, I think it was like 1980 when he wrote that book. And he said that in the next few years, uh, the government would have the ability to know every little thing about people and, uh, that people would be willing to give up that information. And, you know, he, I know it sounds like social media to me. I mean, he went into more details than that, but mm. it's just amazing that uh, we really have no privacy rights anymore for very few. And we volunteered them. You know, I remember being maybe in my t- a teenager when mobile phones first started b- becoming affordable and people started having them, you know, that you didn't used to have to wind them up, right? <laughs> like carry it in a suitcase. <laughs> And I remember thinking, oh, I'm never going to have one of them. I don't want anyone being able to ring me wherever I am. That's an awful idea. Fast forward 10 years and (laughs) I don't know anyone who doesn't have a mobile phone. Right. It's uh, strange. And also the the tracking software as well. Giggle Maps. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, But the the app they're they're pushing out now. Oh, the Corona. Yeah. Mm. 
and tapping into that kind of the Android software and whatever it is that Apple use. Now, I what it is. was this what South Korea used? Possibly. I don't know. Right. But our, our health service is apparently developing an app that mm. you're going to download onto your phone and it uses Bluetooth to talk to other phones. And if uh, someone um, gets a positive test for coronavirus, it then sends a Bluetooth message to some database somewhere. And so it alerts everyone who you've been within two meters, within two meters of for a certain duration of time to, uh, you know, self-isolate. But it's pretty terrifying, isn't it? I don't know how I feel about that app. <laughs> no. Yeah. They're doing that here too. Um, or they're trying to, it's like a HR 6666. Uh, a lot of people are kind of weirded out by the, all those sixes here, but uh, <laughs> I think if you like look back into like uh, one of uh, Bill Gates vaccine um, patents has three sixes in it. And then <laughs> there's something called the Lucifer, Lucifer it's like a, has something to do with one of the vaccines he's pushing and stuff. It's like, okay, it sounds stupid, but it's starting to get a little bit scary, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, they want the ability to. They're going to have like these people. I think it's ten people to every one nurse who will. They will work with a nurse, and they will go out and they're, they're called contact tracers, and they'll go out and talk to people if you've had the virus try to find all the people you've been around and I guess it just continued that process and then report back to the nurse and you will have to isolate. And if you don't isolate, well, I don't know what happens cause it's not specific. If you refuse to isolate, it does not say, but uh, supposedly if you have no place to isolate away from other people, then mm. they will give you a place, which sounds really scary to me. FEMA camps. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got this large plastic box for you. A black, a black, <laughs> black helicopter lands in your back garden. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, again, a, another one of those things that has so much potential for abuse. And, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, so many things are linked, but, like, it's hard to imagine them not abusing that <laughs> tracking a capability, you know? Yeah, it's very hard to get powers away from governments. This is what a lot of people don't realise. It's it's easy to, to for them to, you know, it's mission creep, isn't it? And, and yeah. actually removing powers from government is nigh on impossible. Yeah, and, and um, you know, people act like, you know, you know how it is. It's like, oh, our government or our leaders would never do that to us. And it's like, have you not read history? I mean, people have been saying that since the beginning of time. Oh, they'll never do that to us. And then you see all the things that's happened over and over and over. You're like, are you crazy? These are do-gooders. Uh, who knows who they're loyal to? Um, I can't remember if I mentioned – I don't think I mentioned earlier, but uh, I'd read a while back, a couple of years ago, that um, in the States here um, – it's actually legal for our representatives to be dual citizens of other countries if the other countries allow it as well. And they don't have to disclose that to the voters, to the citizens. Right. So who knows who these people are loyal to, you know? We have no way of knowing. Is Trump a dual dual Russian citizen then? It could be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you think about it. Uh, 
and you mix that with that book I was talking about, how he explained how the representatives, uh, family members can be basically bought off. I mean, who knows who these people are loyal to? Mm. <laughs> there was a story. I don't know if you've heard anything about it, um, but this Obamagate hashtag has blown up in the last few days. Have you uh, looked into that at all? You know, I haven't looked much into that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, nothing would surprise me coming out of that because, uh, again, I mean, I don't trust any of them. And, uh, you know, the way he came about, he came in so quickly. He was kind of pushed by Oprah Winfrey and that kind of started him off. But I remember the WikiLeaks, uh, when he first got into office, uh, put out how he his cabinet was uh, picked by Citibank, and they actually pulled the, the uh, emails from the Citibank president, who was telling Barack who he needed to pick for his cabinet, and they picked almost the identical people. It was just a couple people that are different. What's he on? So that whole thing kind of started out shady, and just uh, you know, that's another one. Who knows who he was loyal to? Yeah, I'll have to and, wait for you in the memoirs. <laughs> right, right. And coming out of Chicago, too, that's one of the most uh, corrupt cities or, uh, yeah, cities in, in our country uh, with mob connections and just a, a slew of politicians who've been arrested. And, you know, it's kind of like a good old boys network there. So I, I assume that, uh, you know, as, when he got into office, uh, that he had a lot of bad connections. It's um, it's an interesting situation in America because you have this completely different constitution to us. You have this federal system and then the states, and the states have mm-hmm. a lot of power when it comes to uh, regulation and law enforcement and all the rest. So has there been a lot of uh, kickback from individual states who don't want to apply the federal rules, if you, if you see what I mean? Yeah, it seems like there has been like certain uh, certain uh, governors and even local mayors and stuff uh, have kind of went against you know some of the things that the, the federal government wanted to implement or did implement, and uh, of course a lot of the people too. And um, yeah, that is a unique situation. Um, like even even when we were trying to ratify the constitution, there was this group of guys uh, called the anti-federalists and they were like, hell no, this constitution is going to take away too many rights from the States and do all of this, that, and the other. And they're like, you're crazy. You know? <laughs> and it's like going back and, and reading the things that they wrote uh, was like, wow, they were actually right. In most of most cases, because the fed has so much power, they just keep usurping more and more power. And uh, some of these, and you know, one of the worst things here too is um, we have some of the worst representatives. Yet our um, well, the people continue to vote them in time and time again, even though they have a terrible approval rating uh, because of the you know the only having the two party system. They they think it's the lesser of two evils. So yeah. Uh, they just keep voting in the same people. Yeah, it's an illusion of choice again, isn't it? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, divide and rule and all the rest of it. I mean, there must be some good people that get to that level, though. Do you not think people who are there with honest intentions and 
actually want to do a, a good job for people? I think so. Um, but I'd say, you know, it's like getting into the swamp or where, whatever you want to call it. It's like fighting against all those other people. Like, I think uh, I, I like Rand Paul. You know, I don't, I don't always agree with him, but I respect him for at least standing up, you know, against a lot of things. Um, uh, Thomas Massey is another one. I like Justin Omash, but I don't know. He's He decided to run for president for the Libertarians and then dropped out two weeks later. I don't even... Had a phone call. You know, it's really <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I, that's just my first thought was, yeah, he's... Because he was making a lot of headway and, and getting a lot of attention. <laughs> and he probably was told to knock it off. They send that DARPA robot Zuckerberg around to his house, maybe. <laughs> right. Have a word. <laughs> Well, look at Rand. Uh, somebody pointed out that uh, okay, so he's kind of one of the few that kind of has stood out against some of the things that uh, the status quo wanted. Um, he was nearly shot at that baseball softball game a few years ago, where one of the representatives was shot. He was there too; was nearly hit. Uh, his supposed, I guess, his neighbor uh, attacked him while he was mowing his yard, and. Uh, and I realized it was as bad as it, it was, but he said that uh, he had, he tested positive for the coronavirus, and he said the reason he decided to get tested is because uh, he had to remove part of his lung from that attack. So, yeah. and then he gets, the, you know, he gets positive for coronavirus, so it's like there's one guy who stood up against <laughs> the system, and it almost got killed twice. Um, two to the head <laughs> right right <laughs> and then this uh, this massy guy um you know he stood up when we passed the stimulus uh right, right before they passed that last stimulus bill and he tried to make the representatives come back and vote do a physical vote because that was the biggest uh stimulus that had ever been passed and if they didn't come in then they didn't even have to put their names in to show how oh. what they voted for Right. So, that's, so it was unconstitutional, and that's why he tried to push for them to do that. And now they hate him. His own party hates him. And uh, Liz Cheney is supporting the person who's running against him in his Senate seat for re-election. So it's like, stand up against the system, and then you get... Yeah, I mean, if there's no record of what way you voted, how on earth are you supposed to hold these people accountable? Exactly. It was kind of unprecedented, you know unprecedented and you know i mean they barely come into work anyway so <laughs> you know i'm the least they could have done was come in and vote for that huge bill and uh i think this this other bill that they have up it's like i think the six trillion maybe um so from what i've read i think it passed the senate but didn't pass the house um so not everyone even has to vote on it. I don't understand how that works, but... Uh, ah, now, is this the... Um, there was a conspiracy theory that I got hip to about the um, the coronavirus, some new coronavirus HR bill, and um, they showed that it, it, it had been started or first brought to the attention of their house in, like, January 2019, um, really? Wow. Now, now there was a, a mundane reason for this. It was a way of speeding right. up the process. So they took 
Um, I think I'm probably wrong, but the legislation has to go through the Senate first before it goes to the House. Is that right? I think that's. I should know this. <laughs> I think that's the way it goes. And and so to speed up the process, they they took a bill that had already been through the Senate, and then just stripped out all the text and and put in the this new coronavirus um, text, so that it would it speed its way through and get through the house so there was a quite a mundane sort of reason for it but that sort of uh i think that maybe was what you were thinking about the same bill i think it could be yeah 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 and it's you know they they've been doing those kind of things for a long time like uh you know like nancy pelosi said a few years ago we got to pass the bill so we can see what's in it uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, again i think it was Rand paul and, and maybe another guy a couple different times they've tried to uh, put forth legislation that would make it to where our representatives representatives would have to read bills before they vote on them. So they would get them and have like two to three weeks to read them instead of like two days before. And uh, our representatives won't give that any support. <laughs> so they don't even want to be accountable. You no. Know? no, no, it's such a dangerous game being accountable, isn't it? <laughs> Right. Oh, no, avoid that. Right. Avoid that like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they get these like these bills are like fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred pages, and pass them within two days. You know they haven't read any of it. Maybe the first two or three pages, and that's it. You know. Jeez, <laughs> oh dear. Well, on that note, it's uh, it's ten o'clock. Mm. Should we? That's um, a good ending. Yeah. Should we wrap up on that note? Mm. Um. Thanks for thanks for coming out, man. It's been great to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had a great time. I appreciate you guys having me, and it's, it's been cool. Cool. You're more than welcome. Don't forget, eavesdroppers, check out the Oddcast featuring the Oddman out. Scroll down to yeah. the uh, episode description, and um, you'll find all the links, and we'll put your social media links and all the rest of it down there. Um, so I go and find it. him. And uh, your Instagram's really good. Thank very you. very Thank active. You. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I spent too much time on it. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast would be better if I spent less time on Instagram. For sure. <laughs> okay, we're going to sign off. Uh, stay on the line for us, odd man. And uh, yeah, man. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourselves. See you later. We'll come to forever. The Dwarf, the Cripple, and the Mother of Madness.